Hello, and welcome to the FM Podcast. I'm Jen Fritz, and I run Fritz Media, a music publicity and digital marketing firm located in Vancouver, Canada. And this is episode number 49 of the podcast. So the topic of this week's show is the role of music lawyers. And joining me on the show is musician and entertainment lawyer, Kurt Dahl. Now, Kurt and I had a great talk about what exactly it is that a music lawyer does, when is the best time to hire a music lawyer, and how being a musician shapes his work as a lawyer. In case you didn't know, Kurt is in the rock band, One Bad Son. We had a really great chat, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Kurt Dahl. Well, hello, Kurt. How are you doing today? I am great, Jen. Nice to uh, connect with you. Yeah, so good to connect with you, too. You know, as I was preparing for this interview, I was trying to remember if we actually met each other in real life. And I I was like, I don't think I have. Yeah, we haven't, right? Well, I don't think so. But there, there's so many layers of, of you know mutual connections. And then you add on top of that, you know, social media. So it's like, I feel like we've met, but we probably haven't in person. No, that's totally it. Like, yeah, because you... You were saying off mic that you worked with Frontside, and I like worked with those guys for for years. Actually, I was there from the beginning, like when they were like, "Oh, let's uh, leave network and start our own company." I was I was one of the Yahoos that went with right. them. So yeah, those guys are great. And you also know Sam from Strut as well. Sam's we been love. yeah. Sam's <laughs> been our publicist since like 2012. So she's probably been on our team longer than anyone besides us, Shane and I, the band members. And yeah, Frontside was the first radio team that got us our first, you know, top five hit. Nice. And I still remember the day that we we hit top five and celebrated with them in Toronto. And yeah, good people. Oh, so good. Yeah. Gary and Jeff, my faves. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing. All right. The topic of this week's show is the role of music lawyers. And I was going through like all of the the topics that we've done so far in the podcast. And I was like, why haven't I done a music lawyer one yet? That's so weird. But, you know, I think it's because it's such an intimidating topic <laughs> for, for people. Right. And, you know, I, I thought you'd be a good person to talk to just because you're a musician, you know, as well as, as a music and entertainment lawyer. So, you know, first of all, you give us a good perspective. And then it kind of, I think, because you're a musician, might take away the the intimidation factor <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, I specialize in making it less intimidating. Yeah, yes. exactly. That's that's good. That probably gives you a bit of a leg up too, I would imagine. <laughs> but anyway, let's start like kind of there. Like, how did you get your start in music? Where did it all begin for you? I was kind of a late bloomer. I mean, I started playing drums in grade twelve, which you know, I'm sure you're the same. A lot of my friends were playing since like age five, right? And right. And by high school, they were like the cool musician types. I wasn't, you know, I loved music. It was early 90s Seattle music that got me hooked, right? So Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Change, like those bands changed my life. I'm the um, same, by the way, and, just FYI. That was like 90s. Yeah. That's it. Well, and that's, and like we were saying off, off air, my wife and I were just in Seattle and went and saw Joni Mitchell at the Gorge, but then we, I made sure to book a couple of days in Seattle afterwards because that city has always felt so magical to me. And yeah. even when it's raining, you know, 30 days in a row, I mean, it just that city changed my life. And yeah. to, to get back to your question, I mean, that was really the what planted the seed was Seattle. And then I just, I had to play music. And next thing I knew, I was, you know, drumming in grade 12, drumming along, along to Pearl Jam Records and 
Nirvana records. And then, you know, it just kind of all snowballed from there. Like I was a late bloomer, but I really picked it up quickly, you know, and then I was just, once that bug bites you, you're never the same, you know? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You, f- you feel like the, the adoration of the crowd, the playing the music. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yes, this is it. <laughs> and I should say that I sucked for the first two years of playing, you know, but, but I didn't care. Yeah. Right. I just played and played. And if you would have even told me that I sucked, I wouldn't have believed you because I just, you're like, I don't care. It. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. And then what led to you saying, well, maybe I should also become a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's interesting. It was sort of, I read so many, like I was obsessed with music, but also the stories behind the musicians, right? So I read, and this probably was before I became a drummer, I was reading all the rock and roll biographies, right? So whether it be, you know, on Cobain or Neil Young or Leonard Cohen, whatever, I just, I couldn't read enough of that stuff, right? And I, what I found over time, I guess, and this is kind of looking back on it now, like in hindsight, I think this is what happened. I'm not sure if I realized it at the time, but all my idols were screwed over by someone in a suit. You know, it's sort of the history of rock and roll in a lot of ways, or the music biz Mm -hmm. is so many, you know, labels, managers, lawyers, whatever. They really exploited so many of my idols, right? And so I eventually I realized, hey, like if I'm going to do music, I don't want to be screwed over and I don't want my friends in their bands to be screwed over. So I thought I could become an entertainment lawyer. I could be that long-haired entertainment lawyer that protects fellow musicians. But this is, and again, this is, that was just a lofty dream, you know, maybe when I was like mid twenties, but then I just, I wrote the LSAT, you know, which is the test to get into law school, just kind of on a whim. And I didn't study for it. And these days now, like kids study for, you know, for months to get into the L to do well in the LSAT. (laughs) And like, had I done that back then, I probably wouldn't have done as good. You know, I, I just sort of did it on a weekend in between, like I was cutting grass for the city and serving uh, tables at a restaurant at night. And I just went in some Saturday, wrote the LSAT, did not think much would come of it, mm-hmm. and then got my mark back. And it was like quite good. So I was like, maybe I should try this, you know? So I, I went to law school and I loved the study of law. Like the study of law, I think, is fascinating, you know, yeah. understanding why we have certain rights and responsibilities, understanding why we don't have certain rights and defending those rights. Like, uh, I always, I've always been a bit of a, a rebel in that way, you know, in terms of like, I don't, want, I don't want the man to tell me what I can and can't do. So I love the study of law. And then, you know, around that time is when the band really started to happen. And I'm talking about One Bad Son. So it was sort of, I was in law school, started One Bad Son, and then the two things just really played off each other. And it, it all sort of came together. Oh, that's, that's incredible. To, to get things rolling, you know, start with the basics. And it's probably a question you've been asked a thousand times, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What exactly does a music lawyer do? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. And I always am, you know, happy to answer it because a lot of people don't know, even if you're in the music biz, they, people don't know, right? Or if you're an upcoming musician who hasn't had an entertainment lawyer yet, you don't know. But all, all the biggest, big artists all know very, all too well what an entertainment <laughs> lawyer does, right? Like, yeah. Once you get to a certain point, you realize how important a uh, music lawyer, entertainment lawyer is. But essentially, I mean, I, I consider myself to be one of a musician's core team members, right? So if you're, if you're at a certain level in your career, you've got a core team surrounding you. And that consists of a manager, a booking agent, record label, publicist, and entertainment lawyer. And you know, for my bigger clients, like for my household name clients, I'm involved 
on a weekly basis in making decisions and you know kind of steering the ship where to go having discussions with management or the label etc so but i guess to go back to your question what do i what do, what do we do i mean a big part of it is the easy part or the the obvious part i guess is negotiating contracts right yeah so you're signing a record deal a management deal a film and tv placement deal there's a publishing deal all these ma- so many deals <laughs> yeah like any of these major uh, contracts that you will come across in, in your career uh, at some point you know they're so important and they have such a huge impact on your financial well-being and your yeah. your career well-being they're really important so you want to have an entertainment lawyer who's an expert really make sure your interests are protected and you get the best deal possible yeah. so that's kind of the first thing is contracts that's the obvious one uh, the second thing i would say is you know, I really act as an advocate for my clients. And, you know, so it's sort of a more nebulous role in terms of advocating for the rights, connecting them with different people. Some clients come to me and say, hey, I've got a great booking agent. We've got a great live show, but we need a manager. Can you help me with that? Mm. Um, some clients come to me and say, hey, can you, we've got, we're doing great things on Spotify, but we've never had a film and TV placement. Can you help with that? And I'll, I'll try to connect those dots. So yeah. it's sort of more of a, you know, an industry net, you know, I connect the dots. I, I guess stick up. You just like a con- like connector, a networker kind of, right? Yeah. And, and sort of, and give advice overall. I mean, some of my bigger clients, I mean, they include me on discussions in terms of like, what should we do next in terms of, you know, what, what country should we pr- try to focus on next in terms of developing the market or what single should some some clients reach out to me and say what single should should I release next? That's not normal. <laughs> I don't think for most lawyers, but you know, I I, I think I've got a really unique perspective and a really unique yeah. relationship with a lot of my clients. So it's an honor when they do ask me those sort of questions. But yeah, so that second sort of role is more all encompassing, but more you know, I'm a part of the team that really helps you know guide my my clients' careers. Yeah, so more strategy. I would say, like, as I was like kind of reading up on this, like doing just a little bit of research, I, I, that was something that I found that I hadn't thought about having a lawyer kind of be part of the overall strategy. And it makes sense, right? Yeah. Totally. And you have such a unique perspective that, yeah, <laughs> it would be, it would totally make sense for you. Yeah. It's, you know, honestly, I, um, I've always have been so humble and, and grateful for, my, I feel like I'm really close with my clients, you know, and mm. part of that is I think they trust me. And part of it is I just, I think I work really hard for my clients, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, I'm so, pa- I'm kind of a music industry nerd, you know, like I just, I live and breathe the music biz. And if I can help an artist go from selling a thousand tickets a show to selling 5,000 tickets, like that changes their lives. And, and it's an honor that I get to do that on a regular basis, you know? Oh, totally. It really, we're all just lucky to work in the music industry, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> you know, some days it doesn't feel like it, but yeah, you know, yeah it's pretty good. 100%. I think that, you know, musicians can be scared to hire a lawyer just because of the cost. Yeah. Like we know most indie musicians don't have a lot of disposable income kicking around. So right. how, if you're an indie musician, how do you know when is the right time to, you know, drop the bucks and uh, hire a music lawyer? It's a great question. I always say, you know, if you get a contract put in front of you, like send it to someone. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I, don't, I don't know what other lawyers do. I mean, I can't speak on their behalf, but I mean, for me, I always say, like, send me the contract. Like, what I'm the worst I'm going to do is send back a quote and say, here's, here's what I think it would cost to review and revise and draft a markup, whatever, right? 
I'm never going to just going to start charging. A, like I'm not going to just send an invoice after someone emails me a, a question. Like that's not how it works. That's that's not how I roll. Anyways, yeah. I'll always say here's what here's what it might cost. Right, if you want to do this. And also, there's a bunch of red flags here, here, here. I would have that changed. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, if it's really simple, if it's a really simple contract that doesn't require anything from my side, I'll just say it looks great. No charge. Yeah. You know? So. I mean, if it's a 15-page record deal, I'm probably not going to say that, right? But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think like the worst thing an artist can do is, you know, for fear of incurring legal costs, just sign a deal that's a bad deal, which there's a lot of bad deals out there. Mm-hmm. I still see them every day. Oh, yeah. So the worst thing to do is sign it. And then when things go bad, then reach out to me and say, how can you help, Kurt? Because I can't do a lot with a signed contract, right? No. There's contracts are not easy to get out of because if they were, the entire economic system would fall apart, right? Like you can't just sign a record deal and then be like, oh, I changed my mind. No, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't so, work that way. <laughs> yeah. But people, I mean, sometimes I, I get that, right? So I would say just reach out and and I'm easy to get a hold of. I think I'm, you know, I almost make myself too easy to get a hold of, but I, I, I that's intentional. I want to be accessible to my fellow musicians out there. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that I help like, either save you from signing the really bad deal, or even if it's not like one of those sort of train wreck deals, it might, the other side might be well-intentioned, but there could be things in there that, because they don't, they're not lawyer, uh, uh, they're not entertainment law nerds like me, they might oversee things or overlook things. And then it could really, if there's success, it could really, you know, adversely impact the artist, right? So even though the other side may not be trying to sort of screw you over, they might. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I think spending... And what I mean, and again, every contract is different. I always mm. I, I give a quote on a per contract basis because every every deal is so different. There's not like a set rate for a record deal, but you know, let's say you spend a thousand dollars to have something reviewed. If it ends up saving or earning you an extra 40, 50 grand a year, which mm-hmm. this happens all the time, of course it's worth it, right? Yeah. It's like you have to, you kind of have to look at it that way. Like what's, it's like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Well, <laughs> I can give you a lot of examples of the worst that can happen, right? Especially in this industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, and there also is like, and and again, just to, not just the contracts that are, are sketchy, there is lots of sketchy contracts, but there's there's revenue streams out there. This is more of a positive that I, I often help with. Like, you know, through, for example, sound exchange revenues are really lucrative right now for artists. So mm-hmm. one of my clients reached out and I told her to sign up. This is kind of more of that advocacy work or like representing, not even focusing on contracts, but just helping clients. You know, I had her sign up for sound exchange because she get gets spun a lot on satellite radio. This is at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I had her sign something and it, like maybe the work for me cost maybe 500 bucks. You know, that's what I charged her. After two years of the pandemic, she called me and said, I just want to thank you so much. And I was like, why? She's like, I just got my check from, from Sound Exchange for 90 grand US. You know, and she's like, had you not told me about that, had, had we not gone through those steps to get everything set up, I would have not made that, you know. And so there's just, there's the, to be positive, there's so much money out there to be found if you're, if you're a musician. So I can help with that, you know, and and it'll be worth it. Uh, that's a really good example. So as we mentioned before, you are a musician as as well as a lawyer, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's get into this just a little bit more. How exactly does that shape your your work as a music lawyer? Do you sometimes like come come at it with an artist's perspective? Like it sounds like you do. It sounds like you know you really want to help the artist. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel 
you know, if, if I'm negotiating a big, a major record deal for like a, with a U.S. major label, which I just did like earlier this week, I mean, you know, I definitely have that, the lawyer hat on and, and, but I think, I guess what I bring to the table, which maybe others don't, is that experience from being in the shoes of the musician. So adding clauses in there that could really benefit them as a touring musician, for example, like putting in, you know, tour support guarantees or, right. you know, those sort of, yeah. or like a, a fund that they could draw from if they ever need mental health, you know, if they invest in mental health services, et cetera, just adding those kind of things, which just, and I guess part of me thinks, I guess thinks that's just because I've lawyered so long, but you're right, Jen. I think part of it is I've learned from, you know, spending 19 years in a tour van yeah. that there's certain things that musicians need. Right. And I think you're right. It does. I guess I can't separate the musician from the the lawyer sometimes, right? No, exactly, because you're way. like you know what it's like to sit in that tour van. <laughs> so <laughs> I know it. Too, I know it too well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that's actually the funny quick side story. Like that was kind of so I, I mentioned how I went in law schools and one bad sign was formed. But funny enough, neither the legal career nor the band career took off right away, which of course that's <laughs> right. of no course. surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was 2004 when, when both really started. No one really cared about either until about 2012. So it took eight years of working my butt off in both careers mm-hmm. to create you know excitement on both. So that's when we got our first hit again with Frontside 2012. And then around that same time is when I started to really sort of hit with my clients or, or get big clients. And so it was kind of funny to, to go back to the tour van analogy. I was we were touring across the country with the band while I was in the back of the van with a laptop negotiating record deals for my clients. So <laughs> you know my band it's amazing. Ma- yeah, yeah. It was like at the time it just felt normal, but looking back now, of course, no one else was doing that, right? And <laughs> my bandmates were just sleeping and I was negotiating a pub deal, a record deal, whatever. And I think, yeah, that really has shaped kind of who I am, right? Totally. That's so funny. I can just picture you <laughs> just like taking calls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turn the music down. Well, yeah. at least, you know, it, it was like in 2012. So you had the technology to do it. Like, can you imagine like if it was the 90s? <laughs> trying to do and that's what my, my boss at the time, Bob Deeth. Do you know Bob? Yeah, I know Bob. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like he's been around forever and he's a politician now. Um you know, at the time, he he was very supportive first and foremost. So, like that was super appreciative, right? He didn't say you have to be in the office because he knew what w- I would have just quit, right? Yeah, and I exactly. I had to be on the road, but I also wasn't missing anything, like in terms of getting work done. I was, if if anything, I was more than on top of it. But he said, "I'm so proud and happy for you that you can do this," because in the '90s, because he was in Rhymes with Orange, and he's like, "We we couldn't have like I had to like go to the fact I had to send faxes and." You know, I had there was no laptops really, and, and there was no internet really. No, so he's like, I could not have done it. No, so I ended up leaving the band, and you can do both, so go do both, which was pretty cool of him. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, it's so funny to think about sometimes. Like, I, I'll talk about it with friends. Like, I'm like, how did like if I wanted to hang out with you and I didn't get a hold of you, like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, what would where would you go? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Listen, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> All right. So wrapping things up just a, a little bit here. Uh, let's talk about your band, One Bad Son. What's going on with the band? Like anything new? Anything you got to share? Yeah. we. It? You know, so this is our 19th year. So next year is 20, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, we just finished recording four new songs. I'm so excited about them. I think they're like the best songs we've done in like a decade. 
you know, like I, at this stage in our career, like, so it's Shane and I are the original members and like, we don't plan to go back to touring 10 months of the year. Like we used to do, right? Like that right. in the back of the van, do like grinding it out. Like we did that. We put in the hours, yeah. at least 10,000 hours on, on back roads throughout Canada. <laughs> we did that. We've got our fan base and grateful for every moment. And I've got three young kids and the entertainment law career is crazy busy. So we're not going to go back to like grinding it out, but I love the idea of like, the music is still there. Like we, we went, we agreed last year to like, let's see if there's still magic. Let's see if we can still record stuff that, that stands alongside the other stuff we've done. And, and we were blown away that there was like, there was magic in spades, which uh, first off I feel so lucky for, right? Like you, you never know when that spark's going to just all of a sudden be gone. Right. Yeah. And then you become an artist, that, you know, that just lives off of your previous hits, which is fine, but yeah. you know, you become trooper, right? When <laughs> I love trooper, but yeah, um, <laughs> They've got lots of hits, though. <laughs> well, yeah, they got yeah. They blow us away for quantity of hits. We want to still release new music and have it be great. So, long story short, we're gonna release four new songs, maybe one this year, and then the rest next year, and then play shows, like play big festivals, and just really do it on our own terms. And yeah, like every time I get up on stage, like we did a show last summer here in Saskatoon at our local arena, and you know, seven thousand people came. And my son was up on stage right behind me when I was drumming. And it was like, like, I've never felt so thankful f- to do it. You know, like it just felt, I felt so alive and it, long story short, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to stop playing music until it doesn't, the magic isn't there. And right now the magic is still very much there. And oh, that's awesome. It's it, in a way it kind of makes me appreciate the music biz even more, right? Cause I've got, I've got the business side, the entertainment law side. I see that every day, but to be able to still go play shows and, had that perspective is just a real gift. Oh, that's amazing. I can't even imagine playing in front of 7,000 people. That must feel incredible. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the coolest thing was having my son there because I felt like I could, I've done that before and, and loved it. And it's great to just experience it yourself. But then when you see like your five-year-old beside you or six-year-old beside you and his eyes are just like, and his jaw, his jaw, <laughs> it's like, jaw, wow. it's like, it almost like it, it almost like makes me feel it even more because you're kind of experiencing it for the first time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with kids, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get to see it through their eyes and you're like, well, this is pretty incredible, actually. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty, pretty sweet. All right. So now's probably a, a good time to head on over to our fresh content segment. Every week on the show, we discuss our favorite piece of music content for the week. And we always like to start with the guest. So Kurt, what do you got? Yeah. So like we're saying off, uh, off air, my wife and I went to the Gorge uh, two weeks ago to see Joni Mitchell. And so jealous. So jealous. <laughs> yeah. You know, like honestly, I actually was prepared to, to be disappointed because she's 80 or 79. Mm. And, you know, how, you know, you can, how, what can you expect from, you know, someone who, you know, is 80, right? Like in terms of a concert, to be honest, right? Yeah. And I was completely blown away. Like she, like I've, to me, she's up there with like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, John Prine, like in terms of my favorite songwriters. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I, I've seen all those people live and she blew them all away. Like without hesitation, do I say that? You know, like she was so good. And Brandy Carlisle was there singing all the high parts, you know, and because, you know, Joni can't hit the high notes anymore, right? She's no. It's all kind of low and it sounds like this old jazz musician who she's always kind of wanted to be anyways, you know? So that, anyways, the concert blew me away. Brandy Carlisle is just a saint for like, she's the reason it all happened, you know? Which is, that's an incredible story right there. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the content part, I've been watching a lot from their Newport Folk Festival show a uh, year prior. Because mm-hmm. you can't, this obviously, this concert just happened. You can't get it yet. But I think it's going to be like a whole documentary, I guess, I'm guessing. I would imagine. But the Newport Folk Festival concert, you can just see it on YouTube, whatever. Every song in there is just so cool. And, and you see that sort of, that sense of jubilation, you know, and and then, yeah, at that show, at the Newport show, um, like the the singer from Dawes is in the band. Um, there's some other cool guest musicians. At our show, we got surprise appearances by Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin, which was pretty- Yeah, I saw that. Oh, incredible. Yeah, anyways, I, I don't want to keep uh, making you jealous, but it was- uh, Oh, it's okay. It was it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it, was, it was like so cool. So anyways, as far as content, I've just been on a Joni binge. So I would say go check out, yeah, the like the videos of the Newport. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll link to that in the show notes so, so people can watch it. And you know, you should also just listen to Joni Mitchell music as well. I think that's yeah. that's a good one too. <laughs> and what and what's your content? Well, as I was saying, uh, as we were just about to start, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> but I pulled it together for for everyone. Um, so mine is uh, the new Christine and the Queens album. Uh, just put out a new album called Paranoid Angels True Love. It's actually like a double album. It has like so many songs on it. But okay. I've been a Christine and the Queens fan for years. Love them. They're this, you know, sort of a pop band from France. Their music is quite bilingual and as a Canadian so as a Canadian you can kind of appreciate it a, a little bit and yeah. but are also one of those acts that even if you don't understand French it's just it's such gorgeous pop music that it's just fun anyway it's just fun pop so it's super good to listen to um, and there's one single on the album in particular called to be honest which I love but the whole album is is really good too and uh it just came out on june 9th see how i pulled it together just came out <laughs> new album <laughs> and i i'm not familiar like i've i've heard of them but i'm not familiar so that is going to be on my listen uh schedule tonight amazing yeah it's uh i'll put the link to to it in the in the show notes as well and the reason i pulled that together is uh i am currently visiting my best friend in nanaimo on vancouver island and she kind of uses me as her What's some new music I should listen to? <laughs> I'm sure you get that a lot too. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was telling her all about Christine and the Queens last night. So it was it was very top of mind for me. <laughs> so I'm glad that well, that worked well, out. <laughs> I like how you pulled it together. You're quite professional too. I like that. You know, I like to keep it professional. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for for joining me today, Kurt. I I really do appreciate it. Is there anything else you you want to plug before we go? Uh, I feel like we're just getting started, but I love it. Like, I feel like we could talk about this like five different episodes. <laughs> we probably you know? could, yeah. But I, no, I, I mean, honestly, it's 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 an honor to chat with you, Jen. And, you know, I think like if anyone, it's not so much a plug, but just if anyone has questions about things, right? Like if any of your listeners out there have a question about some sort of element, of legal element of their career or contract or whatever, just hit me up. You just go to lawyerdrummer.com or Instagram, just lawyerdrummer. Same with TikTok, lawyerdrummer. Just, it, I'm easy to find. But, um, You're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the big thing is like, don't hesitate to reach out to questions. Like I actually respond to every question that's sent to me. And some people send like pretty complex questions and I'll take the time to reply. Because what you realize is that every musician out there has had, got, has had some sort of issue either in the past or currently where it's like the law is definitely a, a factor 
and they don't know the answer and it's kind of overwhelming. So I try to, um, yeah, help, help answer those questions, you know? Ah, oh, well, you're a saint, Kurt. That's so nice of you. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about saint, but I appreciate that. Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You Bye. as well. Well, that was such a great talk. I really hope you liked it. And thanks again to Kurt for coming on the show. Thanks so much for listening to the FM podcast. If you like the show, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the show. So if you can take the time to do it, we'd really appreciate it. The FM podcast is produced by Fritz Media with production assistance from Carla J. If you want to learn more about Fritz Media, check out our website at fritzmedia.ca. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to thefmpodcast.com. A big thank you to Said the Whale for providing the theme music for the show. And you can find them at saidthewhale.com. Okay, so we're going to go on with our song of the week this week, which is from Kurt's band, One Bad Son. This is off of their self-titled album from 2012. Here's Retribution Blues.
Bye. I'll see you next Tuesday.